Years ago, Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. And it's a fascinating novel of the journey of a group of different folks living in this small town, probably about the size of Rocky Mount, who served in different places in the town's life. And they each took a challenge to ask themselves this question every day. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And for a period of time... In the major decisions they made and in many of the minor decisions that they made, they would preface each decision with that question, what would Jesus do? And then they would step back from the situation, the problem, whatever it was, and begin to think through how would Jesus handle this? How would Jesus respond to this? What would Jesus do? And it radically transformed the way they were living. They found themselves making decisions they never dreamed they would make. It, it impacted the way they went about the way they lived their lives, the way they ran businesses, you name it. Answering that question, what would Jesus do? Now, if I'm going to ask the question, what would Jesus do, I've got to be willing to engage the mind of the Lord Jesus. In other words, how would He think through a situation? And how do I do that? Well, the Bible says and teaches us, and we're going to look at this today in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that we have been given literally the mind of Christ. That the Holy Spirit works in us to place into us and release in us the actual thoughts of Christ so that I can think through a situation, not just in my wisdom, in my ability, in my discernment, but I can think through the situations of life with the actual thoughts of Jesus. I can think with Jesus through a situation. I can make decisions in the way that Jesus would make those decisions, that He will literally teach me and release His thoughts in me to think through life and to think through situations. If you'll turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. We have been looking at the mind and how God shapes and works and deals with our minds and today we're going to continue that, but we're going to examine how the Holy Spirit of God works with us to enable us, empower us to think through life with the Lord Jesus so that we are thinking His thoughts and acting out of His thoughts. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as you turn there, the writer here is the Apostle Paul. His focus is that of a pastor who is concerned with the spiritual welfare of the folks in Corinth who had all kinds of issues. If there was ever a wayward group of Christians who just struggled and had every issue in the book, it was the folks at Corinth. Julius Caesar had founded the modern-day, at that time, modern-day city of Corinth in 46 B.C. It had the status of a Roman colony, which meant it had many of the privileges and opportunity of being in Rome. It was a very cosmopolitan city. It was heir to the glories of ancient Greece. But it was also a moral cesspool. If you walked through the streets of Corinth, you were going to see everything under the sun. Please don't take this personally, but if you took New Orleans and mixed it with Las Vegas, you would have Corinth. That was basically uh, the kind of condition that you had in Corinth. It became just a cesspool of everything under the sun. You couldn't have walked down the streets of Corinth without bumping into a prostitute. Uh, the religion of that day was grossly uh, sensual in its nature. 
And so when Paul arrives in Corinth, that is what he is faced with. And he has come to Corinth and he's going to try to get the churches established there and get them rolling, but he's got all this mess that he is confronted and dealing with. And of course the folks are coming out of this kind of situation and struggling with all of this, so they naturally bring it into their church life, even though they've come to Jesus. Uh, as someone has said, when we come to Christ, uh, we come like fish, um, but we come like fish that haven't been cleaned thoroughly yet. And so uh, he would begin to work through that cleansing process with them. And Paul says over, and we'll see this later today as we move through this passage of Scripture, that he says, when I came to you, I could, did not come with human wisdom. And the reason I didn't come with human wisdom is if you want to walk into a place where the devil's got a playground and you try to act out of your own wisdom and do your own thing, all you're going to be doing is beating your head up against a brick wall. You've got to preach the power of the cross of Christ. And so he said, I came to you not with human wisdom, but with God's word and God's plan. And I preach the cross and I share the, the Lord Jesus with you just as plain and simple as I could. And that is where the power of God is present to transform lives. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 10. These things... God has revealed to us, how? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And notice the use there of that adverb, to understand the things, key adverb here, freely given us by God. We don't work for it, we don't earn it, He freely gives it to us. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But notice his statement here, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, a sermon outline is contained in the back of your bulletin, and I invite you, if you would, to follow along with us. Paul asked the question, verse 16, who has understood the mind of the Lord? That's almost a rhetorical question. Who has understood the mind of God? Nobody understands the mind of God. Who are we as human beings to understand the mind of God. But then he turns right around and he says, but we've got the mind of Christ. Nobody can understand God's mind. No question about that. However, God understands that and he has literally given us the mind of Jesus so that we can think with Jesus through whatever we face and what he wants to show us. Now, how does he do that? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how we do, he does that. I know that I have spent... Most of this year, and just about every sermon I preach, talked about some aspect of the Holy Spirit. You all are probably tired of hearing me get up here and talk about the Holy Spirit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Let me tell you why I've been doing that. 
I believe that the Holy Spirit of God was given to us as believers and given to the church to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, and to empower us. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit is probably the most ignored, unused, recognized aspect of the church's life. That we stay so weak, we have so less power, we wander around in confusion because we're not taking advantage of the person that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. Also, you know, we Baptists, we tend to get all nervous about the Holy Spirit, leave that to the Pentecostals, etc. And uh, we, we, again, we're running away from the very thing God has got for us. I had a professor at Southwestern Seminary as a student there. He used to say that if the Pentecostal churches could sort of get the overdraft down a little bit and if we Baptists would open the door and let the breeze blow in, then we would be in much better shape. Now, verse 10, notice what he says that the Holy Spirit does. He says that the Holy Spirit has revealed God's truth to us or unveiled God's truth to us. And the idea here is that the Spirit of God takes the truth of God that God has for us, that we say, I don't know how to understand it, I don't know how to comprehend it, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit to unveil it, to pull the veil back so that we can see God's truth, and it is His job to reveal God's truth to us. How many times do you and I pick up the Bible and we begin to read it and our initial reaction is not hallelujah, it's oh my. Oh my, I don't understand this, I'm overwhelmed by this, and this doesn't make any sense to me. How do I put the dots together? And usually what we say is, well, I'm not educated enough, etc. Before you take the Bible and put it on the shelf and give up, let me ask you to do this. Say, Lord, this is your truth. And you have given me the Holy Spirit. And I am going to ask you right now, and I'm going to expect you right now, to take your word and by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to teach the word of God to me. The greatest Bible teacher is the Holy Spirit, and every believer has the greatest Bible teacher available to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't give up on the word of God until you've asked the Spirit of God to teach you the word of God, And he says he will reveal it, he will unveil it to you. Now notice it says, verse 10, that the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God. The word translated searches there is a fascinating Greek word. It has two connotations. Number one, it was the idea in that day of someone performing a diligent professional search of something and then bringing a report back. Now... Let's apply that or draw an illustration. It's like the FBI performing a diligent background search on somebody, since we've all been very familiar with that over the last two weeks. So it's like the FBI performing a diligent background search on someone and then bringing the results of that search and saying, this is what we found and this is what we've discovered. When I was interviewing with my first pastor search committee, I was in uh, northern Virginia, young man in my 20s, and someone had told me that one of the ladies who was on the pastor search committee worked for the CIA. Now, if you live in northern Virginia and people tell you they work for the government and leave it at that, it usually means the CIA. And if you want to keep the blood in your body, you do not ask any more questions. You just leave it at that. And uh, so we're sitting in her car waiting to go into some meeting. And she turned to me and she said, have you heard who I work for? And I said, I understanding is you work for the CIA. And she said, yes, I do. And I didn't ask any more questions. And I didn't know if that was her way of telling me that she had already checked me out thoroughly and knew everything about me or what. 
But the idea here of this word that the Spirit searches the deep things of God is sort of like the Holy Spirit is God's FBI agent or CIA person in that He has thoroughly searched out the things of God so that He can share them with us. Now, the other idea was like going through customs. If you've ever flown, particularly on an international flight, do you know what it's like to go through customs? They take your stuff. And they go through it relentlessly. I did discover, you know, I hate that this is online, but I did discover several years ago, if you have souvenirs and you don't want them to go through your stuff, wrap your underwear around it. And they will leave it alone. <laughs> what I used to do when I came back from Venezuela, they, they wouldn't touch my stuff with that. But... When you go through customs, they're going to take your baggage and they're going to go through everything. I've seen them take stuff and dump it out, a lady's purses and dump it out and go through everything. They're going to x-ray it. They may x-ray you, but they're going to check your stuff out thoroughly. That is the exact idea behind this Greek word here, search. It is the idea that God takes the deep things of God and He searches them out. He x-rays them. He works them over good. And then he comes to us and he says, I want to share with you the things of God. I'm going to teach you the deep things of the Lord. So when we say, well, I can't go any deeper or I don't know how to go any deeper into God's things, God says, listen, I understand it's deep. I understand it's comprehensive. I understand it's hard to understand. But what I want you to understand is that the Holy Spirit of God has been given to you because he's searching all of this out so that he can teach it to you and he can give it to you. The idea here also is that He enables us to hear the voice of God in our lives. When our son was born, someone told me, he said, when you walk into a preschool and you hear a whole bunch of little voices, you're going to be able to discern your son's voice. And I thought that's ridiculous. But I'll never forget one Friday afternoon, I walked into a preschool in Virginia Beach where we were living at the time, and there was about 30 little preschoolers running all over the place, and I could pick Jonathan's voice out in the crowd. Parents, grandparents, you know what that's like. I could discern it just like that. Because my ear was trained to hear his voice. And the Holy Spirit of God works with us to train us to hear the voice of God and to discern the voice of God in our lives. I'd like for you to write this down. The Spirit will enable you to discern, number one, the purpose of God. What is God up to? What is God doing? And I'm not just talking about in church. When this service ends today and you walk out those doors and you walk into your family life, your jobs, your businesses, education, whatever it is, the voice of God is just as prominent there and just as concerned in that part of your life as when you're sitting in this building. So He will enable you to discern the, the purpose of God. Second, He will enable you to discern the power of God. You see, if I walk into situations and I am overwhelmed by the situation, I will back off and give up. But if I walk into situations and say, God, I see your purpose, but I also need to see your power. And then third, he's going to enable you to discern the provision of God. The provision of God. What is God's provision in this situation? 
A lot of times you and I do not follow through on the purpose of God even though we may see it and understand it because we don't see the provision of God in the situation. Purpose of God, apart from the power of God and the provision of God, we will never get in alignment with. But when I see God's purpose and I am also seeing and discerning the power of God and the provision of God, then with courage and determination we will move into God's purpose because I know God's going to provide each step of the way and I know God is going to take care of me and I know that God's power is going to be manifested in that situation. My mother used to say to me when I was growing up, she'd look at me often and she would say, Son, God's going to provide every step of the way. She said it so many times I got sick of hearing her say it. You know, He's going to provide every step of the way. But as I got older, I understood that what she was trying to drill into my head was every step He calls you to take, He will provide provision in that step. And so that when we trust God for His provision and His power, we won't have a problem living out His purpose. Now, verse 15 Paul writing there, he says, okay, you got the mind of Christ. Operate with the mind of Christ. But he's saying, I want you to understand something. That people are going to look at you when you operate with the mind of Christ and they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to look at you and think you are crazy. Now, Paul would go out and he would preach and Jewish philosophers would look at him and say he's not intellectual enough, he's not sophisticated enough, he can't quote Aristotle enough, so he's off his rocker. Jewish scribes would look at him and say, you may be well trained in Jewish law, but because you're following this man Jesus, you're off your rocker. And so Paul knew what it was to step into secular Greek environments as well as into Jewish environments in the synagogue, and everybody just about that was looking at Paul and listening to Paul said the man has lost his marbles. And Paul says, when you and I operate in the mind of Christ and we are operating in the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, people are going to look at us and they're going to say, what you're saying seems stupid. It seems like it's off the wall. It seems like it's crazy. And, and you're crazy yourself. And if you don't believe me, the next time you go to a family reunion and most of your family doesn't know the Lord and you talk about the Lord, just see how they act and treat you after a while. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. You know, just sit over there and eat your banana pudding by yourself and keep your mouth shut. We don't really want to, we want to deal with you. you know, you're one of those Jesus people, etc. And what Paul is saying here is basically, don't worry about it. Blow it off. Paul said, I walked into Corinth and the Jews thought I was off my rocker because I followed Jesus. And the Greeks thought I was not intellectual enough or sophisticated or intelligent enough. And I could care less because the power of the gospel is in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not in how intellectual I am and it is not how well I appeal to other people. So I'm just going to be who I am and I'm going to share Christ and move through with it and leave it up to the Holy Spirit to take care of things. Verse 16, he says, We have the mind of Christ. Verb, present tense, right now. You don't wait till you get to heaven to get the mind of Christ. We've got the mind of Christ right now, the ability to grasp, to understand the will and purpose of God. Now, how do I think the thoughts of Christ? How do I know when I'm operating in the mind of Christ instead of my own? Let's look over to chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. 
We're going to just hit some topics here that he hits about what it means to operate the mind of Christ. Verse 8. Speaking of Christ, so you will not lack any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that day of our Lord Jesus Christ is when Jesus comes again. Notice the first part of verse 8, who will sustain you to the end. How long did he said he would sustain us? To the end. The, say it with me, end. His grace, His love, His power. He says, will sustain me till He says, not till I say, but till He says, it is the end. It is, it has concluded. Now the word there, sustain, means He will confirm you. He will ratify it. He will nail it down. He's guaranteed the security of His sustaining power, His sustaining purpose, His sustaining provision. You see what the Lord is saying there? He's saying, I'm going to sustain you. I'm guaranteeing you. I am ratifying to you that I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to keep you going with my power and my grace and my purpose till I say it's the end. How many times do we say, I've come to the end of my rope? Have you ever said that? I have come to the end of my rope. You know what God says? Well, that's fine. You've come to the end of your rope, but I've still got a whole lot more rope left. And you get to start operating now not in your rope, but in my rope. And my rope's going to go a whole lot longer. You see, what God says to us so often is we come up to places and things in life and we say, I, just, I can't take anymore. I can't go any farther. I'm at my wit's end, however we put it. And the Lord says, I understand that. But then God says, I haven't said it's the end. I will sustain you to the end. How do I know I'm thinking with the thoughts of Christ? I know I'm thinking His thoughts when I'm thinking I'm living in His grace, I'm being sustained in His grace, and I can keep on going. Sometimes and some days keeping on going means you just take one step. It just means you get one step in front of the other, and that's all that you do in that day. But God's the one who empowers you to take that next step. God's the one who says it's not the end. It's just take one step, and tomorrow we're going to work on taking another step. But he says, I'm going to sustain you to the end. I'm thinking his thoughts when I'm thinking, not that I'm giving up, not that I'm giving out, not that I'm in the end of my rope, but I'm thinking his thoughts when I'm thinking his grace, his power is going to sustain me. Second, verse 10. I'm thinking unity. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you and that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, there was a problem they had in Corinth. And the problem they had in Corinth was if you walked into a church in Corinth on Sunday morning, you would notice fairly quickly that people were in all kinds of little factions or cliques. Now, the folks... In, the, in Corinth had a strong Greek heritage. And Greeks loved to split up over everything. They loved to get into factions over everything. If you walked into a Greek restaurant, into a Greek uh, shopping area, whatever, and there were a lot of Greeks sitting around and you started eavesdropping on them, you were going to people, hear people getting in little factions over their politics. Imagine that. 
you know, you had this group over here and this group over here and this group over here and everybody's in their own little political group and they're sort of, you know, criticizing each other and judging each other and proud of who they are in the little political they, they split up over sports. Now, back in those days, they were really into sports. You know, you can go over there now and see the great um, stadiums they built, etc. But they really got into their sports, which was fine. The only problem was... If I rooted for one group and team and you rooted for another, we didn't talk to each other. And we fought with each other. It was like Washington Redskins and Dallas Cowboys taking, you know, to the, to the very end here. You know, they were just tearing at each other over sports. And the problem was that they took all this factionalism that was out here in the secular culture and they brought it right into the church. Now, I don't have time to read it this morning, but when it got in the church, they started tying it to personalities. So Paul says, if you walk in the church on Sunday morning, this is what you see. you got one little group over here, and they're saying, we're followers of Apollos. Apollos was intellectual. Apollos was intelligent and philosophical. So we follow Apollos because we're so intelligent. A bunch of, bunch of dumb bunnies, the rest of you sitting around in here. And then there was another group that said, well, we follow Peter. We've got energy and we've got enthusiasm like Peter. And we're out hitting the streets like Peter. And you all just sit over in your sophisticated little corner and look down your nose at the rest of us. But we're the ones that are really... Another group said, we're of Paul. We're the church planners like Paul is. And then there was the most spiritual group of all. They said, we're of Jesus. Y'all follow and identify. We follow Jesus. We're more spiritual than anybody else in the church. You're fortunate that we even graced you by walking in the building today. And Paul looked around and he said, you all are factionized into all these little groups, identifying with all these different personalities. You're following personalities. You're not following Jesus. Verse 10, he says, what holds us together? I appeal to you, brothers. This is what holds us together. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul says, this mess about you're of Paul, you're of Apollos, you're of this group, and you're of that group. Folks, he says, what holds us together, what binds us together is Jesus, period. If Jesus isn't good enough, then we got something seriously wrong with us. He says, keep your attention, your eyes, your focus, your spirit, your mind, all that you are focused on Him. Think His thought, think unity, because you are thinking the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 17, he says, Don't think yourself in your own power. Notice what he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Notice the second half. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul said, I walked into Corinth. I knew the Greek philosophers were there. I knew the Jewish scribes were there. I knew the prostitutes were there. I knew the cesspools of immorality were all over the place. And he said, I knew if I walked in there and I tried to persuade people to follow Jesus and I tried to start churches out of my wisdom and my ability and my intellectual capacities, he said... What I inevitably was doing is draining the cross of its power because I was putting my mind on display instead of putting the cross on display. 
He said, so what you got to do is not depend on yourself. You got to walk into that arena and you got to preach Jesus and share Jesus and talk about the cross and what he did for us on the cross and don't drain the cross of its power. Let the cross express its full power. Now, how does that apply to us? Real, real basic, folks. Our calling from God is just to tell people about Jesus. And just tell people about the power that the cross has in the blood that He shed on that cross to set us free from sin, to cleanse us, to give us a new life, to bring deliverance to our lives. And then let God take that by the Holy Spirit and run wild with it and do whatever He's going to do. How many times do we hold back from sharing about Jesus because we're afraid that people are going to think we're not intellectual Oh, well, we're stupid. Oh, we're off on a limb. Or we can't say it the right way. How many times do we say, well, I just can't do that because I can't say it the right way. Paul said, I'm not worried about saying it the right way. I'm just going to put the cross out there. I'm just going to talk about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And that is sufficient. That is the, the power, folks, is not in us, in our ability to say it. The power is in the cross of Jesus. And when I think the mind of Christ, I don't look at people or situations and say, I I can't do that. I say, God, you can work in this. You can act in this. And I'm just going to talk about you, Lord. And I'm going to trust you to change lives and to do what only you can do. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He's given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to answer that question. What would Jesus do? Let's pray. In prayer right now, I want to give you an opportunity in silent prayer. To take whatever situation you need to in your life right now. And ask the question, what would Jesus do? And then invite the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit to show you, to help you discern, what would Jesus do? Lord, we want to ask that your Holy Spirit would quietly, gently, and if need be, Lord, from time to time forcefully, prompt us to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And then, Lord, we want to ask that the Spirit of God would enable us to discern what would Jesus do? And God, you will give us your purpose. You will give us the lease of your power. And you will give us your provision. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today, 
and you would say, Pastor, I've never asked Jesus to, Christ to come into my life. I've never given myself to Him. And I've never known what it is to have sin forgiven the places in my life where I've blown it or have failed to do what I know the Lord wanted me to do. And this day I want to give my life to Him and serve Him and walk with Him. I want to know the presence, the Spirit of God in my life. And as we sing in just a moment, I want to invite you to walk from where you are to where I'll be down front. I would love to pray with you about making the most important decision that you can make in life. And that is to choose to serve, to know, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you sense that God has been speaking to your life and saying, I want you to come on and be a part of this church family and serve the Lord with these folks here, then I invite you to come. As always, the altar is open if you want to just come and pray. Lord, in these moments, help us to discern what you would have us do. In your name we pray.